What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Here is what I have lined up for you to. This has been one of the most exciting things I've ever been involved in in football. It's the What the Footy podcast. I hope you love it. Not like it. I hope you love it. Download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's important. Powerful people and I think they need to recognise that. But then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fans. How you doing today, John? Welcome to the Water Footy Podcast. Yeah, all good. Appreciate you having me. No, it's a pleasure to speak to you and um, looking forward to getting into the conversation and really delving and deep diving into your world. But the first question that we always start off with on the show is, what is football to you, a business or a sport and why? Ooh, wow. Starting off with a bang, huh? Um, for me, football is a sport first and foremost. Uh, however, you know, I think we've seen in the last decade more than ever, um, that it, 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 it may be when you boil it down, it may be, maybe a sport and that's why people are ultimately tuning in. Uh, but it feels like it's turning more and more into a business with each passing year. Um, so whether, you know, and you hear club executives talk about first and foremost, what matters most is the product on the pitch. You know, that's why we had fans in the first place. Uh, but in, in today's world, you see more and more fashion collaborations, you know, talking about we need to be as much an entertainment company as a football club, attract new fans. Everybody's trying to be bigger, go more global. So, yeah, for me, football, first and foremost, it's what happens on the pitch. Um, but, you know, you're seeing the most successful clubs uh, really double down on also, you know, being a business and, and leveraging on pitch success to build a business, make more money, you can buy more expensive players and in turn, hopefully, uh, hopefully invest in a better product on the pitch. Not always the case, uh, but you know, that's what fans want. That's what I want. So no, that's, that's super cool. And, and I like how you almost linked in that answer, the commercial and the sort of on the pitch performance side of things. Cause as you kind of mentioned, it's that whole kind of sort of circle of, of doing well on the pitch and driving commercial revenue and sponsors coming in, which in turn, goes back into the on pitch on pitch side as well but just starting starting the conversation off obviously you're head of sport at snapchat as well and snapchat is the social media platform for sort of gen z and younger yes. uh, younger audiences one thing i'm so fascinated to sort of get get your take on and get your perspective on is that we we hear a lot of this these conversations around younger audiences and gen z are losing interest with football could you sort of just talk talk to me about about what you think and how you sort of feel about that being a snapchat user myself i think the fascinating thing that we've seen there is snapchat collaborating with different sort of leagues and sports properties out there to show highlights are we living in a world now whereby live is almost dead or or it's not as popular as people wanting to consume the highlights in a, in a sort of a shorter form yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I'll start with a disclaimer, which is I left Snap after the World Cup in 2018. So I, I've now been out of the business for over four years. I have no no inside information. Uh, but I joined in 2014. So I was there for four years and started the sports team. 
um, and did all of our first, you know, deals with rights holders, broadcasters, clubs, teams, athletes, and just thinking about, I'm glad you, you know, you said it is the most popular app in the world for Gen Z. Now that I'm in my thirties, I get people all the time, you know, asking me, is Snapchat dead? I'm like, well, no, actually they're growing, you know, month over month. Uh, users, engagement, and you ask any teenager, anybody in their 20s, especially early to mid 20s, and it's probably the most popular app on their phone. Um, and you know, to your to your question, and kind of the big topic of are young people losing interest in live sport, um, and what is like you know the value of working if you're a rights holder or a team, you know the value of working with like a Snapchat or any other platform. I, I actually think you know, what we were doing in the early days of Snapchat, which they're still doing today, but it's not quite as unique is, um, do you remember the hour stories where they would curate snaps from an event and stitch them together to kind of create this like story of the experience? Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 Cause at the time, and it's hard to believe this now, but 10 years ago, or, you know, I guess eight or nine years ago when I joined, you know, UGC user generated content, it wasn't nearly as ubiquitous as it is now. Um, obviously Twitter is now far more than just text. You see video and, and photos, honestly, more often than you see just text on Twitter, obviously Instagram stories has exploded and really dominated that format. But when Snapchat for, you know, they pioneered the stories format, they were the first ones to do it. And they were the only ones to do it for a couple of years. And I think, you know, what they created with the quote unquote, our story product in those early days. I vividly remember the moment that I said, I want to work at this company. And it was waking up in my East Village, Manhattan apartment um, during the World Cup in, in Brazil in 2014 and opening Snapchat and clicking on the World Cup, our story. It was the second one they had ever done, the second event they had ever done. And I'm watching these snaps of like people in, you know, Ria on Ipanema Beach wearing all the different shirts of all the different World Cup teams and the energy outside of the stadium and the energy from the crowd. And it's like showing all these perspectives that weren't necessarily on the pitch, but I think just gave you like a 10 out of 10 top class example of one of the reasons I really love football, which is its cultural importance and like what it means to like communities and cities, um, especially those who, who are fortunate enough to host these big events. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's it's tough because today you can get you can get highlights in a second. You can miss a match and in five minutes you see all the key moments, you get to see the goals. And I think people you then see people draw conclusions about how a team played or how a particular player played just from just from just from those clips. Um, and that's it's it's the big it's the big struggle for rights holders because while it's so popular to consume in that way, the revenue isn't it's not even close, right? Like if you look at the Premier League, the vast majority of income for Premier League clubs comes from that broadcast contract. As great as the deals are they have with the Snapchats and Twitters and Facebooks of the world, it's it's a drop in the bucket. It's not even close. So, um, you know, the one thing live sports does have going for it in the entire like broadcast ecosystem is it is live and on demand. So you do have that FOMO element. There is nothing better than actually being able to tune in and watch um, so that's why sports rights continue to go up, even if ratings go down a bit. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Bit long-winded. Yeah, no, that's that's super useful because uh, even Sky Sports they did an advert this year. The whole idea of it's only live once, and that whole idea of I've always been in the view of you in the stadium and watching it on TV. You can't beat watching it in those in those live moments, but especially over here in the UK where we have 
what's called the, the 3 p.m. the blackout, which I think I've spoken to CEOs. Ah. I've spoken to CEOs at Premier League clubs across the pyramid about the blackout. I think it's one of the worst things to exist in football in this country for, for fans like myself. So I just I look forward to seeing those little clips on YouTube now, because obviously YouTube have the collaboration with with that uh, with the Premier League, because waiting for match of the day six hours after the game has happened is just too long. I, I say all the time, you know, I'm so football is my biggest passion. And I actually consider myself lucky now to to still be living in the US, even though I'm in Europe, as you can imagine, you know, building this company all the time. Because we have NBC as the broadcaster of the Premier League, for example, and they broadcast every single game live. So, you know, tomorrow I could sit on my couch, bang, bang, bang. I could watch three games in a row. I really feel for you. I really do. I I know. I think it was last weekend you saw again, people were just up in arms about the way the schedule sorted itself out. So it's, uh, yeah. I can't imagine that lasts forever. It just, it, it just can't, it won't. It's frustrating because you almost need a balance because like whenever I can, I try and go to the home games, the season ticket holder, but I could try and go to the away games. But take, for example, last weekend on Sunday, Arsenal, Man United and West Ham, because they play on Thursdays, they can't play on Saturdays, so they have to play on Sundays. So you have three of the biggest teams globally in the Premier League who have to play on Sunday, but Liverpool play Man City at four o'clock. So all of them are on at the same time and they're not on TV because they chose to show Chelsea instead. So yeah, um, yeah so that, just... that's what it was, right? The Liverpool City game wasn't broadcast in the UK. No, no, it was. So it was on at four okay. o'clock, but the teams that play on the Europa League and the European uh, competitions on Thursday have to and play Arsenal. on yep. and West Ham. They have to play on Sundays. But then Chelsea, who played in Champions League, were also on Sunday as well, but they were on Sky. So then you have three games you really want to watch, but you can't watch them anywhere. Yeah. And this was, you know, one of the, one of the, the, I guess I call it a failure is, you know, when we were at Snap, we tried so hard to get a deal done with the Premier League, to get a deal done with Sky, to do a deal that involved both of them. And th- this, the the blackout was ultimately why we weren't able to do it. Um, because, you know, it just, because the nature of our product was live. Uh, we were we were curating these stories live during the, during the matches. So it was a bummer. Just sort of going on to obviously your business now that you sort of founded, since you sort of left uh, Snap AC Memento, I love what I love what you're doing there. Being someone who's, as you can see, I'm wearing and rocking the uh, the bruised banana over here. Yes, just, I love it. Just sort of talk to me about why you started AC Memento and how the, how the business model really works. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I I guess the 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 story for me starts when I was little, um, which probably maybe like you and a lot of people listening, um, my first exposure to kind of collectibles and football was being a kid ripping Panini stickers uh, and trying to fill out, you know, the booklet every four years. Um, Now, again, I'm in my 30s. (laughs) I'm trying to fill out the booklet. uh, So it's not necessarily something that ever went away. But that was just, you know, always something I did when I was younger. And then as I got older, especially the last five, six, seven, eight years, um, I started to collect cards. So, you know, tops cards, Panini cards uh, from Champions League, Premier League, World Cup, and it was really something I didn't have a lot of friends who did it, but I loved it. And at the time, it was pretty cheap. Uh, and then the pandemic happened. Uh, and it's no longer cheap because a lot of people do it. So, you know, the pandemic happened and I got into, you know, grading my cards. So getting the slab and seeing if I could get a 10 out of 10. 
Um, I started collecting old match ticket stubs from like iconic matches. So I have, you know, graded Messi's debut for Barcelona against Porto, uh, Thierry Henry's debut in the Champions League, or I guess European Cup for Monaco. Um, I have David Beckham's debut for Manchester United, uh, that match ticket. Um, And I got into match programs. You know, I have a I have a season ticket, a full season ticket, like pamphlet because there's an individual ticket for each match from Maradona's first season in Naples at Napoli. Um, So like all of these, I I just really stuck at home. I got so into surfing eBay and trying to find, you know, really these like little stories that I could physically buy and, and, and bring home and and showcase. And that kind of led me to kits, which I've always bought kits, you know, and I never really thought of it as collecting. I just, every season I'd buy the kits of the, you know, the clubs or federations I tended to support or watch. Um, and then you've got, you know, the Venezia's of last year or the Vasco's of this year that if you can get your hands on it and, and you're into kits, it's a no brainer. Um, and then I got into Matchhorn and very similar to why I love tickets to ticket stubs. I love Matchhorn because it's like it represents a moment in time in the context of not just the player and their season and their career, but also the club. So it's like any of my Matchhorn shirts that I could hold up and show you you know, I get to tell you the story. I get to tell you, you know, Maradona wore this shirt in his European Cup debut for Barcelona. He scored a hat trick, left foot, right foot header. They won the game 6-1, 6-0. But, you know, for me, like that relative to even owning the Barca shirt from that season, it's just, it's so special because you you kind of have that one of one and, and the story you get to tell. Um, the thing I ran into though is, you know, you search match worn on eBay you're going to get a lot of results. And, you know, you look at something and say, oh, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, 2007, Manchester United, match worn. And you're like 400 pounds. That, that doesn't seem right. And, you know, you, you'd go look at the photos and you'd get to the certificate of authenticity. And it's like a typed Microsoft Word document. <laughs> and, you know, Joe Buck is like, I was in the tunnel on August, you know, whatever. And Ronaldo gave me a shirt. And then he'd sign it. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, like there's just, there's no way this is real. Um, and so I got burned a couple of times and, you know, wanted to, wanted to try and build something where authenticity was put front and center. Um, and that meant for us going directly to clubs, directly to players, like directly to the moment where a match issued shirt becomes match worn and, and therefore becomes, you know, valuable for all the reasons I described. And also just, you know, more predictable supply. So knowing that like on our platform every single week, if you want to buy something match worn, like we'll have the supply there for you and and you can trust it and trust us and then make it a little more, a little bit more fun. So, you know, maybe to your first question, it's like, I was watching a game a year and a half ago, just thinking to myself, man, if I could, there was some way to win the shirt right now, like while I'm watching the game, because you're no more you're no more passionate and your emotions are no more heightened as a fan than when you're watching. And that also goes into the story of, you know, maybe winning and owning, owning the shirt and, and having it be a new prize collectible. Um, and then the last thing is like trying to bring, you know, tastefully merge the physical and the digital, uh, which was a big challenge, especially in the era of NFTs. So regardless of what you, what you think of NFTs, I think we all know what they are at this point. We all know the companies, you know, who are, who are playing in that space. And we didn't think NFTs, you know, made sense for us for a number of reasons, but we still wanted to 
um, bring like a digital element to the product. So the ability to win an auction and have, you know, what we call the digital certificate of authenticity immediately go into your account, something that's optimized for you to share with friends, you know, on WhatsApp, post on Instagram, Twitter, and then not, you know, not have this piece of paper that you have to store or put somewhere when you have your shirt sent to your home and put it up on your wall. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been going well so far, but that's, that's kind of the origin story of the company. No, I think that's amazing. And be, being someone who loves collectibles myself, like programs and tickets, I still sort of keep them. My my match attacks and my tops cards, I don't know where they are, probably somewhere in the garage or probably got lost or something happened to them. Got to dig but, them up. Yeah, but the point, the point that you made around that certificate of authenticity, that really resonates with me. And I think the fascinating thing about what you guys are doing is you can buy the shirts from eBay, but the most important thing is, is the authenticity. Just sort of talk to me about the tech. Are you guys using the blockchain in terms of the authenticity or how are you sort of, yeah. sort, sort so, of using it or leveraging it? Yeah, so no blockchain, no blockchain now. Um, and I am, you know, I'm, I'm really interested and intrigued by that whole space in terms of how the authenticity works. So we, we pick up the shirts direct with the club partners. We pick up the shirts directly from the dressing room uh, after the match. And the link, since we're not using blockchain is that we, when, when we're able to authenticate them, we heat press a label to the inside bottom of the shirt that features a QR code that opens directly to this digital certificate of authenticity on the app, a unique serial number, uh, and then in, actually invisible ink. So it's really, really, really hard to recreate wow. our authenticity label um, and try and, you know, fraud somebody in the ecosystem. And so that physical label and the digital COA in the app are actually tied together. Um, so you could scan the QR code, pulls up the D, we call it the DCOA, Digital Certificate of Authenticity. Uh, but we have been getting some feedback from users who have redeemed their shirt that, you know, some people would still value something physical even if they do like the idea of like growing this collection digitally and having it accessible via their phone. So we're thinking about that. You know, the only thing I can say is it's not going to be a piece of paper because I don't think that's, I don't think that's exciting. Um, we're thinking about the right way to merchandise it, almost have it be another thing that can surprise and delight, you know, fans and say, Oh, I have the shirt. And now I also have this cool little, you know, thing that I can put on my desk or, you know, merchandise in my 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 bedroom or office or wherever so something we're thinking about no that's pretty cool and obviously you guys have been able to have a lot of big name athlete partners involved and sort of vc investors you've got serena ventures backing you you've got courtside ventures who have backed um and, and exited companies like the athletic for example as well you've got i believe Lionel messi you've got vinicius jr all all sort of behind behind you have you been able to sort of get get this back in and kind of gather all of this support in terms of what you're building. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'll speak to the players first. Um, I think it's because when you when we've been able to approach them, like we're not a brand and we're not a sponsor, right? So when we're when we're sitting down with a player and explaining specifically what we do with them, you know, for starters across the board, they care so much about their own collection at home. And I think that's actually something that maybe all fans don't realize, um, which is what excites me about what we're trying to do. So if you go to, you know, uh, you know, Messi, right? So we haven't secured his collection yet, but I'm just going to venture to guess he's got over a thousand match worn shirts from his career. It's like 
don't you think fans want to see that and and kind of go go back down memory lane for all these iconic matches and the players he swapped against and the shirts he wore and like the big Champions League nights and um, for Argentina and with all the players we we're working with now they're either in their attic in boxes you know in a in a closet just all hung you know stack stacked up or even in a storage unit and so the promise of us to say hey, we can take your collection. Um, we can organize it for you. We can authentic authenticate it to the best of our ability. And I can talk more about what I mean by best of our ability. Uh, and then actually digitize it so that fans can go to, you know, Thierry Henry's profile and, and scroll through and see, you know, the shirts he still has from that invincible season. We know he has Ronaldo's shirt from the 98 World Cup final. Uh, he's got that famous photo of him kissing the, the World Cup trophy wearing the shirt. It's like, um, so players see that and they're like, oh, this is great. Like, they're going to help me build this organized, authenticated collection, share it with my fans. Um, I think one day when we do, when we do get to monetization with them, a lot of them have foundations um, and it's just such an easy way for them, you know, to raise money for, for their foundations, to be able to auction off shirts in their collection. Um, so, you know, it took time to get the first couple of players and then it really snowballed because we had... We had them on the beta. So before we even launched, they had the app on their phone. And I think, you know, we got really lucky where they'd share it with a friend or another friend in the dressing room or on the bus. And we get, you know, a WhatsApp saying, hey, so-and-so wants to chat with you about his collection. And we're just, yeah, keen on it, obviously. So, um, yeah, we've got about 15 players now. Um, we just signed another massive player who we'll announce in the next two or three weeks. Um, That's amazing. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's been good. It's been good. No, and, and also talk to me about getting courtside because obviously courtside are a massive, massive sort of VC in the sort of sports space as well. You've also got Serena Ventures in there as well, and and other sort of yeah. exciting funds as well. Yeah, so courtside ventures—they're based in New York. They're a sports tech uh, VC fund. Um, they were really, really early in StockX. I think one of the very first investors. Um, they were also I believe the first and largest investor in the athletic, uh, which just sold, you know, to the New York times. So uh, for me, they're one of the best sports tech investors in the world. Um, and they were one of the first people I reached out to when, when I wanted to, you know, give this a shot and try building this. Um, they've done, they've done investments in memorabilia before, but they'd never done anything in match worn or game worn. And I think, you know, what you see now is just like chapter one for us, right? We wanted to try and fix, accessibility around match worn authenticity issues around match worn but ultimately like our vision is much much bigger than that it, it goes far beyond match worn i'm assuming the shirt you're you're wearing right now is not match worn uh yeah, but man, still... you know there's probably there's probably a better way to buy a vintage shirt like that there's probably a better way for you to be able to show off to your friends and followers that you own that shirt um, there's probably a better way for you to trade that shirt with somebody else if you want to. So, um, yeah, those are maybe just some hints. Uh, I, I kind of tweeted a little bit about this last week about some of what we're thinking, but, um, ultimately it's, 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 it's definitely football now that we're focused on. Um, but you know, much bigger than match worn. No, that's amazing. And just sort of talk to me about the challenges of running, an early stage company, high growth company. And also when you're talking to me about the challenges, talk to me about the challenges of actually getting on board 
teams like AC Milan and Atletico Madrid because speaking to people who are trying to sell their product into clubs, I've had founders of sports tech companies come on here before on the crypto side, NFT side. I've had founders on the sports performance and injury side come on as well. We're working with different clubs. Just talk, talk to me how hard that aspect of, of things really is and also the general challenges of just startup life. Yeah. I'll start with the clubs. You know, it's been, it's definitely been challenging um, for starters, especially the clubs we're already working with. And, you know, we're going to be announcing um, the next three clubs we'll be working with by the end of the year. These are the, you know, these are some of the most popular biggest clubs in the world. So for starters, they're getting dozens of proposals every week. Right. And a lot of them are good. Um, so I, I think, you know, all of this, this is over a year in the making. Um, I think a couple of things that, you know, you have to do is just persistence really matters. You know, you've got to show up, you've got to show passion and you've really got to educate. Um, and you know, what, what else can I add? Because it was hard. It was hard. I mean, I give these four clubs, Atleti, Sevilla, Benfica, Milan, I give them a ton of credit because to be to be as big as they are and as well-known as they are and to take a shot with a startup, especially signing up before we even launched the product, like that, that's a risk. And you know they did it and it's going well. So I, I, I know they're happy, um, but it, it was not easy. It was many, 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 many trips to you know, Portugal, Spain, uh, Italy, many Zoom calls um, and just saying like, hey, there, you're not doing anything with this asset, you know, match worn shirts. We think we figured out a way to pull this off while still respecting kind of the traditions of players swapping shirts, throwing shirts into the crowd, bringing them home for their own collection. I'm sure most people know that the majority of players change at halftime, uh, which was the big unlock for us to be able to auction the first half shirts. And um, yeah, I, I just, it's persistence is the number one thing, persistence and passion. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. It's probably not going to happen in three or six months. So you've just got to have the patience, persistence, and passion to, to keep pushing. Um, what was the other question? Clubs? Oh, the ups and downs. Well, yeah, yeah startup life. I just, I, I, that was a Freudian slip. It's the ups and downs, you know, one day, one day you just have that feeling like, you know, we're killing it. This is, this is uh the fans love it. We're getting these amazing DMs on Twitter, emails. Look at this nice thing somebody said about us. Um, and then you have the days where you know you're like, I signed up for this, and and you just gotta just gotta get to tomorrow. So I think um, it's maybe to the extent you're asking asking me to like share my experience and advice, I would go back to the same thing and just say you know patience. I'm gonna keep going with the P's. Patience, persistence, but also perseverance. Like you just have to have really thick skin and, you know, you're going to get punched in the mouth. Um, if it's been months and months and months and everything's up into the right, that means you're probably due to get punched in the punched in the mouth and it will happen. And you, you've just got to push through. So it's been a lot of ups and downs, but more important than anything is the people you put around you. So like we have an unbelievable team that I'm so grateful to work with every day. We're spread between the East coast. We've one person on the West coast, but East coast, us and, uh, UK and Europe. Um, so we've got people in London, Germany, France, Spain, uh, we're all remote, but we just have, you know, really passionate people who 
uh, love what they're doing. And, and that's ultimately how you succeed. It's all about the people you work with. No, that's awesome. Did you prepare some answers for what the foot are you lying for? The uh, two truths, one lie. I got it. Two truths and a lie. You know, before the match where they bring, you know, they'll often bring somebody out and do the ceremonial first kick at a, at a match. Yep. I did. Well, okay. I did that for um, a European between two European club teams uh, at a, at a friendly in the U S. So I got to do the the first kick when I was little. Um, number two is I once had dinner with um, the entire first team of a champions league club. Um, no manager, no significant others, no friends, uh, just me and a buddy. And the last one is I took a class at Harvard with one of the greatest defenders of all time. Are we allowed to know who, who that great defender is? Because obviously it's a bit, it's a bit subjective, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> well, how about I say greatest right back of all time and I'll see if we're on the same page. Greatest right back. Oof. Um, so you took a class at Harvard, uh, the greatest right back of all time. Well, if I'm talking about greatest right back of all time, it's, it could only be between these three, couldn't it? Cafu, Dani Alves, and Philip Lahm. Um, so yeah. it's one of those. It's one of those three. Yeah, it is. Um, it's, it, this could be a lie, but Dani Alves, yeah, Dani Alves. So it's one of those three. Dani Alves, he's he's still playing now, isn't he? Um, yeah, Pumas. Um. Okay, so I'm yeah, gonna two, say those are my two truths and a lie. Two truths and a lie. So I'm gonna say the dinner with a whole entire first team, just you and a buddy, with no manager there. I want to know. I couldn't imagine knowing some players. I couldn't imagine eleven like a whole entire squad having dinner outside of a training ground capacity, and you and your mate being. I'm gonna say that's a lie. Um, I'm gonna say the ceremonial kick. A game, I'm going to say that's true. And I'm going to say the Harvard class, I'm going to say that's correct. But we'll find out towards the end. <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, just um, just sort of taking the conversation further, I saw that you're also an investor into Angel City. Yes. Yeah, so just sort of talk to me about Angel City, how that sort of opportunity came about and, and what do you see for the for the future of women's football and where you think this, this new, newly formed expansion team can really take things? Yeah, um, this has been one of the most exciting things I've ever been involved in in football. You know, I I am an investor. I'm a very I don't know if we're gonna have the video, but I'm holding up a tiny. I'm a very 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 small investor in the club, but you know, investor nonetheless. And so obviously, I I support them. Um, how did it come about? I uh, one of our investors is Alexis Ohanian. He runs a fund called Seven Seven Six. He founded Reddit. Uh, married to the greatest of all time, Serena Williams. Um, who's also, yep, the goat, amen, also an investor in the company. And he, you know, started kind of rage tweeting in the spring of 2019 about, uh, I'm going to laugh, I'm going to send him this podcast. Tell him he's got to listen to this because I don't think either of us have ever told this story, but he started rage tweeting about, um, you know, women's equality in football and in particular in the US, you know, it was about the national teams and the men making more than the women but the women are the ones who actually win. The women are the ones who qualify for the World Cup. The women are the ones who win the World Cup. Um, and for sure, the, the women on that team are, are, I think, more popular than the men on the, on the US team when you start talking about Alex Morgan, Megan Rapinoe. Um, and so 
he's, he's tweeting, he's tweeting, he's tweeting, you know, the guy's got over 500,000 Twitter followers. And the last tweet was, you know, maybe I should buy a club and like really show people, you know, how big this is going to be in the future. And that started just an avalanche of outreach. He had owners reaching out to him, pro players reaching out to him. And I knew, and he would admit that he didn't know anything about football. And so I just pinged him and I was like, Hey, if you want me to help you parse through, you know, what comes your way, I'm happy to do so. Um, and so I did. And then two months later, we were both in London uh, around Wimbledon in 2019. And uh, the US women were playing France Friday night, Parc de Prance quarterfinals World Cup. Um, I'm just getting goosebumps telling the story. I'm like, I texted him. And I'm like, if you are serious about women's football, and you've never been to a football match, which he hadn't, he's like, you got to get on the train and meet me in Paris, because this is going to be special. And he did. And we went and the U S won, and it's one of the best atmospheres I've ever, ever seen at a stadium. Wow. And I think after that match for him, it was written. He was like, this is, this was too good an experience. Um, I saw too much passion and I want to, I want to get involved in the U S. So one thing led to another and he connected with the other now, you know, lead owners at angel city out in LA. Um, Karen Nortman, Natalie Portman, and uh, Julie Ehrman. And when when that deal wrapped up, he just let me know. And he's like, hey, we're doing this. We're announcing it soon. Like, you know, I want to thank you if, if you want to try and get involved. So that's where it came from. Um, and yeah, what can I say about women's football? Like the numbers at this point are undeniable. What we've seen the last the last year, starting with, you know, Angel City selling out their home opener at Bank of California you know, San Diego wave, uh, who actually did an auction with for the playoff game last week, which is our highest performing auction to date, mind you. So, wow. um, yeah, consider that right. All these amazing clubs we work with San Diego wave highest performing auction to date on platform. Uh, they just broke the NWSL attendance record for their first home game in their new stadium in San Diego. We all saw what happened at the camp. No, with Barcelona last season. I mean, Arsenal women, they just beat Lyon 5-1. I couldn't believe I mean, it. The defending no, champions of the of the women's champions league is yeah, incredible. Like man. the attendance numbers at the Euros. I read an economic report of the impact of the economy of the Euros and the host cities. Uh the US England were sold out at Wembley a couple of weeks ago. Like your the World Cup coming next summer. It's just uh it's it's I'd say it's about time. And like, you know, you still get the haters on Twitter, like, oh, nobody cares about this you know, why watch women's football? And it's like, mate, they're selling out hundred thousand person stadiums. Like the conversations happening on social. Um, it's, it's a good, it's a good product. And so I think, you know, the growth for women's football is, uh, is undeniable and it's going to keep going up into the right. I think it's cool that the other day FIFA kind of put broadcasters on blast and said, Hey, we got the bids for the rights, not high enough. Like, you know, respect the game, which also from FIFA's, you know, uh, interesting, but, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. No, for sure. And even the people who are hating on social media, majority of them have never even bothered to tune into a game. They just tweeting Twitter fingers is what I call them. Twitter fingers, just, just doing up Twitter fingers. Yeah. Hiding behind a cartoon avatar, you know, three followers, (laughs) classic. No, but it's it's exciting to see. And also as well, I think over here in the UK, we've seen an increasing wave of, of American ownership coming into English football, not even just at the Premier League level, but across the whole entire pyramid at, at sort of championship and League One and League Two and also across Europe as well. 
what do you think is driving a lot of that wave into English football and sort of European football of, um, of American investors wanting to come over here and um, and uh, get a piece of the pie as well? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, for starters, just because of how popular it already is, right? You know, Premier League, most popular league in the world. Um, I think it's it's been telling that a lot of the American owners in the Premier League have had success with U.S franchises um here in the states and so i think they see it as you know it's a business opportunity right expand their portfolio and you a todd bowley could say hey i did it with the dodgers people didn't think i could now i'm gonna go do it with chelsea um you know united they have the bucks unite uh sorry the glazers tampa bay buccaneers uh united cronkies rams nuggets avalanche arsenal uh, so I think I, I'm I'm trying to think off the top of my head if any of the American owners in the Prem don't have a U.S. sports team, but I think most of them do. Um, so, I you know I don't know because I haven't asked them, uh, but I, I would imagine imagine it just feels like um, fertile ground for for them to kind of expand their portfolio and take learnings from the U.S. But I also know that's kind of at odds with you know maybe fans and tradition, and you saw Todd Bowley you know, throughout the idea of a, of a North South Premier League all-star game, which people didn't seem to like on Twitter. Personally, for me, I don't know. I think it'd be cool. Uh, but maybe that's, maybe that's the American in me. I don't know what, I don't know what you think, but. Um... Yeah, do you know what is? I was, I was a mate of mine. He was actually on the podcast. He's, um, he works for, I'm not going to name him, but he works within the club and me and him were clashing up because he, I, I, I'm a big believer in that. I think, Football in general in the Premier League can learn a lot from how US sports have more from a commercial aspect and how they've been able to grow their sports from a commercial perspective and create a kind of a show around what they do. And you look at the valuations of the Dallas Cowboys and the Lakers oh, compared, compared to the valuations of UK Premier League teams, it's like night and day. Um, but I think the thing for me with the with the all-star game is. I don't think we'd want to see North versus South because speaking to people in other leagues like the Bundesliga, the Premier League is unique in the fact that Arsenal versus Chelsea is an all-star game. Liverpool versus Manchester City is an all-star game in itself. We see these all-star games, quote-unquote, every couple of weeks, every month or so, every two months or so. I think what I'd want to see more of, actually, is a Premier League best XI versus a La Liga Okay, yes, XI. I'm with you on that. Yes, and I think that... I think... I think that would be amazing. And I think especially when you see people like Tony Cruz tweeting about the Premier League and how they haven't won the Champions League for a while and the kind of the back and forth and what you see fans say online about different leagues and the Premier League being better. I think shutting down that argument would be good. But then I think there's a lot of logistical hurdles that people haven't thought about in terms of actually making this game happen. Who covers the injury risk or the insurance of a player if they get injured in this one-off game? How do the clubs benefit? Because all clubs are the one employ the players and will have to release them for this game. I think there's loads of different sort of intricate points from a legal and sort of risk perspective to cover off. But in an ideal utopia, I think that's a better game than North versus South. Yeah, I'm 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 with you 100%. I, uh, because it does feel like the big, yeah, the big rub, the big debate is La Liga Pre Premier League. Um, you know, Premier League for sure more popular because there's numbers and numbers don't lie. But um, 
yeah, with all the success that Barcelona and Real Madrid have and, and, you know, count the champions leagues between them, uh, the last two decades and the kinds of players that have run through both of those teams, uh, it would be, it would be something else to see, to see a La Liga all-star prem all-star. Who do you think would win? Wolf. Oh, I think. So it's on the league side. They'll have like Benzema. They'll have Lewandowski. They'll have. Oh. Yeah, I think I think the Premier League because what Salah, Haaland, De Bruyne, yeah, Van Dijk. Um, it, yeah, it would be uh, that. I don't. It'd be yeah. interesting. It would be. It yeah. would be. If Messi was still in La Liga, I'd probably tilt their way. No, for sure. But now it's time to reveal your answers to uh, what the fit are you lying for? All right. The the dinner. The dinner's not true. Maybe that was too obvious. But... Yeah. Yeah, the dinner's not <laughs> the, true, yeah. The dinner's not true. Yeah. The 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 kickoff was when I was little. Um, I actually have to ask my parents what, who the teams were. It was part of like a summer camp thing. Um, so technically, I didn't kick the ball, but I was with a group of kids. And uh, yeah, I took a... I took a four-day class. I didn't go to Harvard, I wish. Um, but I took a four-day class at Harvard on the business of entertain- entertainment, media, and sports um, oh, wow. in 2018, in May of 2018, right before the World Cup. And not only was Danny Alves in my class, there were 60 of us that took this four-day program, but Danny Alves, Edwin Vandersar, uh, Kaká, um, and then just a bunch of you know people who somebody who worked at Man City, somebody who worked at Barcelona. Um, there were also a lot of like U.S. sports people and, and U.S. athletes there. Chris Bosh, Lindsey Vaughn, P.K. Subban. Uh, it was really like one of the coolest experiences I've ever ever had, um, and very fortunate to to meet Danny there, who's been an immense help um, to us building building this business. So. No, I love that. But I end the podcast with this question every time, which is what the footy needs to change or happen within your space. I think we've solved the authenticity problem. I think it can be even better. Um, And I really hope we're in a position to help solve it. But I think that's going to require collaboration, not just from clubs, but also from suppliers. So like a Nike, Adi, Kappa, Kappa. Um, And what I would love and 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 hopefully we'll pull this off is we should be establishing provenance in the shirts before they're even put in the dressing room before the game so we should be adding the authentication with the unique serial number on the three match issued shirts before they even get into the dressing room so it can be manifested and then the kit man can keep track and say definitively black and white there's no absolutely no margin for error okay, you know, it's the 30th minute. There's only two shirts here now. Here are the two that are still here, which means he's wearing that one out there for the first half, right? And then he's wearing that one out there for the second half. And then this third one actually got recycled into the next match because I'm manifesting this next match and I got the same code. So it's now been issued for two matches in a row. And like, how amazing would it be if you bought, because then they could go anywhere, not just sold on our platform. You could buy one on eBay, scan the code and say, oh, this was, actually issued for the um, North London Derby. It wasn't worn. It was then issued again for the Liverpool match. It wasn't worn. And then Saka wore it in the second half of the Leeds match. And now I have it. And you almost have that like, 
black and white history of where it's been. And then maybe you sell it on to somebody else and they can see the history of the shirt. So they see like, oh, you know, Paul owned this after this kind of tracking of, of where it's been. So for me, that's the dream. And I think we can get there. No, JB, thank you so much for your time. Former head of sport at Snap, founder of AC Memento, investor in Angel City. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Guys, this is the last interview for 2022. Thank you so much to everyone who's been listening so far this year. I've had amazing guests on the show so far, like Paul Barber, CEO of Brighton & Hove Albion FC, Joe Foster, the founder of Reebok. I've done 18 podcast episodes this year, 15 top class interviews. The pod will be back soon in the new year. Sit back and enjoy the archive, guys. The archive of episodes with guests such as owners, directors, investors, players, managers, scouts, and more. Guys, take care of yourselves. Peace and love every time. See you soon. Let's go. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting awesome. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So winning the league, let's just win this to appease the fans.